We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. If you would, turn in your listening sheet. We're going to read aloud our reverse text for this week together. So we have been in one text all week long. That is what we call reverse. It's James chapter 5, verses 12 through 18. And if you would, stand with me and let's read this aloud. This then is the text for today. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. May God bless the reading of his word. Today we come to this text and we consider our prayer life. And as Pastor James takes us on this road to consider prayer, he first takes us to the Old Testament. And he takes us back to Elijah, and that's where we'll begin. Elijah, at the top of Mount Carmel. And as he is at the top of the mountain, he crouches down. He doesn't stand tall, but Elijah crouches down to the earth. And, and the text in 1 Kings, it, it tells us that, that he puts his face between his knees. And Elijah is there on his knees with his face between his knees, and he won't look up. In fact, 1 Kings 18.42 tells us Elijah prayed fervently for the power of God. That day he was saying and longing for God to come and reveal himself in a mighty way. And, and he's, not, he's not just asking God to come because he's never seen the power of God before. In fact, it's the other way around. He is calling for God's power because he has seen it. And he has seen the mighty kinds of things that God has done. Elijah had known the power of God in tangible fire that fell from heaven. And now he calls out for the rain. It had not rained there for three and a half years. The whole nation was crippled by drought, and Elijah prayed. The text says he, he prayed, and, and he stayed in this stance of prayer for an extended period of time. It says he's, he's praying with his head between his, his knees, and he won't look up, calling out for God to, to do something for God to come and God to restore, and he has a servant there with him, and he sends the servant off. He says, go and look towards the sea, and when you, you look, tell me if there's anything on the horizon, anything coming, and the servant comes back and says, there's nothing. Elijah, he doesn't look up. 
He keeps his head down and he, he keeps praying and he keeps praying and he sends his servant back again saying, is there anything on the horizon? The servant says, no. But Elijah persisted in prayer. In fact, it tells us as that chapter unfolds, Elijah sent the other man six times. But six unanswered prayers didn't deter this man of God. He, he kept on his knees and he kept praying for God to reveal himself. Saying, God, prove your graciousness. On the seventh time that Elijah sent his servant to look over the sea, he came running back and he told Elijah, there's a cloud. He said, it's not even bigger than a man's fist, but there's a cloud, a single cloud on the horizon. And that's all Elijah needed to rise up and thank the Lord. He rose from the ground in faith and the rain came. You know, as James notes in James chapter 5, at the end of the reverse text for this week, the prayers of, of, of a righteous one are powerful and effective. And Elijah was on his knees calling for rain until it came and the Lord provided. You know, this seems like a, a refreshing answered prayer. In fact, I can remember when I was growing up, I grew up in Carrizo Springs, Texas, where it rained um, very little. In fact, I remember in summers where we would have Wednesday night prayer meetings and the whole hour we just prayed for rain. There were people on their knees in front of the altar begging the Lord for rain and sometimes it rained and sometimes it didn't. Farmers and ranchers would come into church on Wednesday and beg the Lord to come in and intervene. They, they would ask the Lord to just send a single storm cloud to break the heat. It was humbling to see such men pray in this way. You know, that's what I think of when I think of praying for the rain. And you know, that could be where our mind goes as we've been in James chapter five this week as he's telling us about Elijah. He tells us about the rain and that, that could easily be where we go. But there's so much more to this story than that. In fact, this isn't a story about the rain. This is a story about the power and authority of God. In fact, when we, we look at the, the greater context of the story with Elijah, when we first meet Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, the first place we meet him in the Old Testament is he goes and he tells the nation and he tells anybody that's going to, to listen to him, he says, it's not going to rain. Those are, those are Elijah's first words to the nation. His, his words as a prophet is, it's not going to rain in this place. He tells King Ahab, he says to the king, he says, it's not going to rain and it's not going to rain on this country until I pray for rain. Now that sounds awfully confrontational and egotistical on the surface of it. But I want you to recognize that Elijah is not being egotistical. He's not being confrontational. In fact, he's being as near to the Lord as he could possibly be. Because it's it practically something else is at work here. And what you see is that God has revealed to Elijah that it wasn't going to rain until he prayed for it. And it wasn't because Elijah was powerful, but it was because Israel was utterly sinful. You see, Elijah's powerful prayers and God's refreshing rain, they're directly tied to the nation of Israel's sin. God says he stops the rain. When you hear the story, he says God says he stops the rain because King Ahab is as evil as they come. 1 Kings 16, 30 says Ahab is more evil than any king Israel has ever had. And in fact, what you see is, is you, you work through the Old Testament over and over again. It tells us that this king of Israel was evil. This king was evil. This king was evil. Over and over again. It's, it seems to be the common refrain as you work through the kings of Israel. 
And here we come to King Ahab as Elijah is prophesying over him. He says, this, this king is as evil as any of them. In fact, he, he's more evil than any king that's ever come before him. And you know, that is something because Israel's kings couldn't wait to be sinful. If you work through the Old Testament, see all of the things that Israel was up to in these days, they were worshiping sex goddesses. They were chasing after prosperity idols. They made multiple golden calves. At this point, we're at golden calf three or four at this point. They were fighting in civil wars they shouldn't have been fighting for. They were encouraging these male cult prostitutes. And as the text goes, King Ahab had all of that and made it even worse as he had continued and expanded the worship of the Baals so that Israel became unrecognizable. In fact, the, the life of Israel becomes so distant from God that they were nowhere near who they were called to be, who God set out to make them. See, Israel had separated themselves from God. And Elijah's life of prayer put him right in the middle of it. You see, as you work through it, it's, it's, not, it's not Elijah's prayer was powerful. This is, this is because God is at work and Elijah was near to God. What you recognize in this is, is, is Elijah had been on his knees in prayer and he had come before the Lord. And in that relationship, God revealed who he was. And in that relationship, God revealed what was happening. In that relationship that Elijah had with the Lord, he was able to see what God was doing on the horizon. He was able to see what God was doing with the nation of Israel and he was able to speak truth into that. But you're never able to speak truth into that without that relationship with the Lord. What what gave Elijah his authority? What gave him his power? What gave him his wisdom? Was he spent time on his knees in prayer before God? This is where we find our hope and our grace and our wisdom is when we're building that relationship with God in conversation. You see, this, 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 this moment of prayer wasn't about Elijah looking up and saying, let it rain. That's not what this was about. This was Elijah looking up and saying, I love the Lord. He is mine and I am his. And out of that relationship, Elijah was able to see what God was doing in the world around him. And he was able to speak that truth over an entire nation. You know, Jesus too. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he went and found a place to pray. You know, it would be more like us. If, if on the night we were to be betrayed, if we knew we were going to be betrayed, it would be like us to pick up a sword and fight. But Jesus found a garden in which to pray. You see, his disciples were lost. When, when he asked them to pray, they slept. When he asked them to stand down, they cut off Malchus's ear. Because those are the kinds of things we do. We fall asleep and we chase after other kinds of things. Jesus is praying and we are sleeping. Jesus is submitting and we are fighting. Now take note here of Jesus' prayer. See, when Jesus is about to face the most dramatic and painful moment of his life, he found a garden so that he could pray. And when he was about to be destroyed, he didn't sedate himself because there's another thing that we kind of do. When we face pain and we face destruction, when, when we are not sure what we're supposed to do, we sedate ourselves so that we don't have to face it any longer. Jesus doesn't do this. In fact, as we get to Luke chapter 22, Jesus gets down on his knees and he cries out to God. And, and listen, in, in Luke 22, what does Jesus pray when Jesus himself gets down on his knees? What does he pray? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And what we recognize in this moment, God's incarnate's prayer is not answered. The cup the suffering is going to remain. There's no other way. In fact, this is what God the Father tells God the Son. There is no other way 
There's, there's nothing wrong with Jesus asking if there was another way. There's nothing wrong with Jesus saying, is there a way forward without your wrath falling down upon me and all around me? And God looks down to Jesus in this prayer. What you recognize, this is out of relationship. This is a conversation in relationship. And the reason Jesus knows is because he has this intimate, connected relationship with God. And in this, as he's praying in this relationship, God says, there's no way around the wrath that's going to be laid upon you. In fact, because of our sin, Jesus had to suffer. And that, that's what he's having to wrestle with that night. The one who is sinless has to bear our sin on his body so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be saved. Luke twenty two forty four tells us that Jesus was praying so fervently in this that sweat became like drops of blood. It's all this, this internal anguish is coming forth and, and it's, it's physically on display before God and anyone who might see. And what, what you see, I mean, Jesus knew. I mean, this, this grief led him to prayer. And in that prayer, he, he, he sees God's will clearly and he has his answer. But one of the great things, God just doesn't say no. And so, so Jesus is there asking, is there, there any way this can be different? And God says, no, there's no way this can be different. The, the wrath has to be dealt with. But, but God in that fortifies him. And what you see is these angels come and minister to Jesus. And this is what God does for us in prayer. Even when he has to tell us no, he fortifies us and he gives us the strength and the wisdom that we need to endure. Again, this is what you recognize when you're on your knees before God, you are filled up with a strength and a hope that you can't get anywhere else. There's, there's no other place to find this kind of relationship and this kind of fortification for the days ahead. And so God was giving Jesus everything he needed and for redemption raised him up towards terror. And it's pretty incredible in these moments that Jesus experiences life to its fullest. And maybe in these moments is where Jesus even feels some of the things that we often feel. Because here, Jesus isn't experiencing the joy of victory. He's not stepping out at the resurrection. This is a different day. And on this day, before, he sees the challenge of temptation. He sees the distress of rejection. He sees the, the suffering of sin. It's not his own sin, right, because he was sinless. It, it was our sin that he, he bore every sin that we've ever committed so that we'd be forgiven. But in these moments, Jesus himself is wrestling with the, the, the temptation and the, the suffering and the challenge and the distress and the rejection so that we might be saved. And what you recognize is, is, is on the most painful night of Jesus' life, and the night in which God said no to him in prayer, for your sake, Jesus took it. He bore it so that we might be saved. And out of that garden, he walked to the cross. There's, there's a story of, of death, uh, too, in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, it's, it's one of uh, Jesus's uh, moments with his, um, one of his disciples' moments, excuse me, where Jesus, his, his inner circle of disciples, remember he had three of, of an inner circle. He had, he had Peter and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were together. And these that he kept close, they began to face persecution. 
And in Acts 12, James, the son of Zebedee, is killed with a sword at the command of King Herod. And in this moment where, where, where James, the son of Zebedee, is, is killed by the sword, the, the city just kind of erupts. And, and they're just, they're, they're rejoicing. They're, they're excited about this. In fact, they can't get enough of it. They're, they're, they're so happy and they're dancing in the streets because another Christian leader has been martyred. King Herod said, well, this is making everybody happy. I'm, I'm going to do this again. And so what, what King Herod does, he, he takes Peter in his sights. And he said, well, we got such a great response out of, out of um, uh, killing James. We're going to get an even better response out of killing Peter. And so he gets him and throws Peter in prison. There's four squads of soldiers guarding him. And the whole situation looks bleak. In fact, there's no way out. It's, it's a lot like Jesus in the garden praying. I mean, Peter has no way out of this situation. But we get this wonderful sentence in Acts 12, verse 5. Let me read that for you. And so Peter, he was kept in the prison. And then, then we get the, the but. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And, and then you see with this moment where, they, where they see there's, there's no possibility of victory. It's just the church started to pray. And when the church started to pray, the ground started to rumble. When the church started to pray, life started to, to spring forth. When the church started to, to pray, victory came. And what you see, the, the church was facing a fight they couldn't win. They, they were standing before King Herod and all of his swords and his army. They were not going to win this battle. And when you're facing a fight, you cannot win. The only place to go is to huddle up in prayer. And that's what the church did. The, the church huddled up in prayer. They gathered together that night at Mary's house, and they were going to pray through the night for Peter. And it seems like, as you read through the story in Acts 12, they, they didn't even know what they were praying for. Because because God sends down his angels, and Peter is set free, and Peter comes to the house, and they don't even recognize him when he shows up unharmed. You see, what's happening here, God, God heard the prayers of the church and delivered Peter that night. And, and God's not doing this because the church is in fear. Not, God's not doing this because that, that church there was some kind of special church. God is doing this because he's, he has a holy work in store for Peter in the days ahead. You see, this is, this is a lot like uh, Jesus. He's there laying the situation out before the throne of God and begging God for his will to be done. And it's amazing the kinds of things that will happen when you're persistent in prayer. Because what you find in this situation is all of it's going to change dramatically. Your perception of it's going to change dramatically. You're going to change dramatically. The situation is going to change dramatically when we are persistent in prayer. But one of the things that you need to note in this is when you are a persistent prayer, you will be changed forever. And I have to say, this is one of the many reasons some of us refuse to pray with any fervency or with any persistence. Because what we recognize, even in small doses, is the longer you spend at the throne of God, the more likely you will be changed forever. You see, when you stand before God and you get on your knees at his throne in persistent prayer, no matter what you're praying for, no matter what's going on in the world around you, your heart begins to change. Your mind begins to change and you become clothed in Christ himself as you stand before the throne of God. You will be changed forever. You know, and sitting there, praying together, your lives begin to change. 
You begin to better understand the will of God. What God begins to show you, the more time you spend with him, he begins to transform your heart so that you see things the way he does. So you can see the community like Elijah did. You can see what's happening before you like Jesus did. In fact, God will show you all kinds of things as you stand before his throne. And you know, for the, for the church in Acts chapter 12, they, they didn't know what they were praying for. They were, they were praying for God to intervene. They were, they were praying for God's will to be done. And God began to show them what he was up to because, you know, I don't know why God saw fit for James to be martyred, but Peter to be spared. That's one of the things they would be wrestling with in prayer in the days ahead. But kneeling before the throne of God, the church began to understand what God was up to in those days when they were persistent in prayer. And, and we were faced with, with circumstances that are beyond our control. This is where we have to go. We have to get on our knees in prayer before God and say, thy will be done. And I don't think we recognize how often we are faced with, with circumstances that are beyond our control. I think too often our pride tells us, well, I've, I've got this, that I'm, I'm gonna hang on and I've got it in control. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang on here. And in fact, I've, I've almost got it. What we need to do is let go and realize most of this we don't have under control and that's okay because we have a God who is. If you will get on your knees before God, he will show you how this works and he will change your heart so that you are right there with him. So the church in Acts 12, they got on their knees and prayed all night, thy will be done. See, so that when we face a, a fight that we cannot win, the only place that we go for grace is to the throne of God, who's going to lead us to victory and align our perspectives with his will. You know, that's the other thing uh, some of us are, are afraid of. When we, we stand before God, when we listen in our prayer, because this is one of the things, uh, a lot of times we're afraid to listen in prayer because we're afraid of what God's gonna tell us. A lot of us would much rather just tell God what we think and then say goodbye. But God speaks and he begins to, to change our perspectives that more in line with who he is and what he's doing. And so let me encourage you this morning. However God is working in prayer, let it be. When you stand before his throne, it doesn't matter what you're praying for, as he begins to change your heart, let it be. Submit to that authority of God and watch the chains fall off your life. If you bow before him, and surrender unto this holy God, you will be changed forever. It's interesting in our reverse text this week, when we come to James, we get to James, look with me at James 5, uh, verse 16. James makes this connection here that we need to make as well. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You see, what we recognize in this, in this note about prayer, is, is James very much is linking prayer with confession and our requests with the forgiveness of sins. You see, we recognize in James chapter five where, where, where you pray and you're to pray for when you're suffering and you're to, to pray when you need healing. 
And you need to pray when your brother or sister in Christ is suffering. You need to pray when your brother or sister in Christ needs healing. In fact, there, there's this call for us to, to get on our knees and be persistent in that kind of prayer where, where you put your head between your legs and not lift your eyes until your prayer is answered like Elijah. Or to pray with such conviction that sweat drops of blood form on your brow. Or, or that you will gather in a home under the threat of the king and pray all night long for God's will to be done. There, there's persistence in these prayers. Faithful saints carrying out a mission for the sake of the kingdom of God in prayer. There is a good work there that we need to be about. But with all of that, as you pray for the suffering, as you pray for those who need healing, you must be prepared for the inevitable, that when you kneel before a holy God, your sin is going to stand out like a bowl of vomit on the table at Thanksgiving. And God, when you come before him and you fall before his throne in prayer, God is going to demand repentance from you immediately. God's going to demand, before you even pray, that you give up that which has separated you from God. And if you're willing to give up that which separates you from God, he will reveal his will to you. He's going to tell you yes or no. He's going to give you the fortification that you need. He's going to give you the hope that you need. He's going to give you the grace and forgiveness that you need. If you're willing to give up that which has separated you from God. But if you hold on to that which smells like vomit, you will hear nothing from God. In fact, this is a passage we've become pretty familiar with here, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. There's one of the things that we recognize in this church that God has called us to be a repentant people. And one of these verses that point us to repentance is Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Listen to this text. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. It, it, God can save. Nor is God's ear so dull that it cannot hear. Surely God can hear. Now, verse 2 gives us um, the issue here. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. You see, many of us are walking into the presence of God and demanding heavenly intervention for all kinds of things when God hasn't yet heard your prayer because you refuse repentance. You see, prayer changes us. When, when we fall before God in prayer, he does something in our heart, in our lives, that we can't resist, but we should submit to fully. See, God can change your circumstances, but he always changes your heart, and he always reorients you towards that which you hold dear. You see, this is what I mean. If you care more about your pet sins than you care about your relationship with God, you're just gonna be left to those pet sins and those pet perspectives so that life deteriorates. But if you're willing to offer yourself unto the Lord, all of it will be forgiven. All of it will be forgiven, and you will walk into the will of God. You'll see things you've never seen before. You'll hear things you've never heard before, and you will have vision that is truth and reality. You know, this is why James, here at the, the end of chapter 5, at the end of his, his book, takes us from physical healing to confession. Because you see, James starts in here with the physical healing, and there's a time and a place for the phys physical healing. But as important as the physical healing is, it's nothing. It mean, it's absolutely worthless without spiritual healing. 
You see, any kind of physical healing, it doesn't matter if you haven't been forgiven from your sins. Because if you haven't been forgiven from your sins, life just deteriorates into death anyway. And what we recognize together through the gospel in this church is the most valuable, life-changing opportunity you have in this life is for Jesus to forgive you of your sins. For all of us, that's the most valuable thing that we have in front of us is, is the offer of forgiveness from Jesus Christ himself. And so will you submit to him and be forgiven? Or will you let the sin remain? Some of us are ready. Some of us are ready. We're, we're, we're tired of everything else. And we're saying, I, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. But, but some of us are a little too interested in old sins and old ways. And whenever we step before the Lord in prayer, he just keeps asking, when are you gonna give it up? When are you gonna nail it to the cross and finally be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are here before you as sinners in need of a savior. This week, it's been filled with temptation. There were days that every one of us fell into that. And so Lord, we pray that as we gather together this morning, we would know the grace of your forgiveness. Lord, heal us and make us right. Heal us and lead us into holiness. Heal our hearts so that we might be saved. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.